Hello and welcome to Nobody's Coming to Fix You, a podcast for women, by women, talking all things life, empowerment and transformation. My name is Del Beer. I'm a businesswoman, sustainability advocate, industry leader in my field and have spent my whole career working in the fashion industry, working out what women actually want. I am the creator of the Sandsland Coaching and Transformation Programme and I am your host for this podcast. Joining me throughout the series will be lots of fabulous women and men too to talk about how we can share the best hacks to live our best lives. Michelle Minikan is an anti-patriarchy powerhouse. A chartered psychologist by trade, she is the kick-ass author of Good Girl Deprogramming. Her book lays bare the conformist culture that women grow up in and offers bold insights into our societal conditioning. The book is more like a life manual, prompting self-reflection and actionable change, and is a must-read for every female, irrespective of their age. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. So we have the book here. It's so exciting. Ahead of the launch tomorrow. Uh, as I said in the intro, it actually feels like much more than a book. It comes with so many extra aspects to it, um, complete with like questions, exercises, instructions, feedback. Tell me, who is this book for? Women. Um, <laughs> the most flippant thing. So, yes, it's 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 not for beginners beginner women so it's not for somebody who hasn't gone through some self-development and self-awareness if you're like fresh out of i want to find out about myself this might be a bit triggering for you so this is who it's not for um and my advice to those women would be to go brenny brown first and do some of that work on yourself because that'll really help you to move to this book and who else it's not for are those completely unleashed, unbound rebel women who probably could teach me a thing or two. So it's for those of us in the middle who aren't quite fully deconstructed and reconstructed in in what they want to be, but also it's not for the like the proper pirate women that, you know, they're <laughs> the head of me. So the, us in the middle, in, in the wobble, don't really quite know what we want. Amazing. It's it's um, about to be launched tomorrow, as I said. Some of us have already had been lucky enough to get a copy. What's the response been so far? Well, it's one of these. So I talk about feedback. So anything that's going to be substantive work in that's going to be released into the world will attract feedback, both positive and negative. And the, sort of the last chapter we talk about becoming unfuckwithable. And it's literally being immune to both the praise <laughs> and the negative feedback. So last week I was at a conference and we had a a good girl deprogramming banner and literally as we were putting stuff out um, on the stand these two women walked past and saw the banner and like unleash the rebel within like literally like it's like are we in high school? (laughs) It's like what is wrong with you people? And I took that really personally it's like you're literally taking the piss out of my book and uh, I had to sort of like, Michelle, no, we're having to touch from feedback and become unfuckwithable and just let let them be them. Whereas every other person loving it. So there will be people that don't like it. And I've got ADHD. And so one of the annoying parts of ADHD is this thing called rejection sensitivity. So criticism, I feel like it, it's painful. I feel it really bad. So so I'm having to go through all of this stuff myself as well, just to say... It's, it's going into the world. It will go out into the world. People will love it. People will hate it. We have to be okay with both of those things. Interesting. So let's talk about um, the ADHD, which you talk quite a bit about in the book. Um, you were diagnosed in 2020? Yes, just as the pandemic was hitting. How did it change your life having the diagnosis? So what happened was I was invited to an International Women's Day thing at the House of Lords, which is very fancy. Um, And I met this lady called Anna Price and she was telling everybody about her ADHD diagnosis. And as she was talking, I was like, oh, this is me, like really bad. It was almost like, oh, and she's she wasn't one of the the speakers. She was just literally had like a group of women around and talking. And I was magnetized, drawn to her. And so I 
was like yes this is definitely me became best friends with her of course because they you know that's what we do and went just basically i'm a psychologist so I went onto the nice guidelines and went tick 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 here's some examples phone the gp and they got they they referred me to um a private and uh, like a right to choose so it's kind of not having to wait five to seven years for a diagnosis but managed to get through like the the sneaky shortcut and it was like this explains so much about my life and explains yeah so much and some of the silly situations shall we say that I've gotten myself into and so my my initial response was absolute rage both at myself and at the people who have not necessarily treated me kindly in my life so I I'm probably just literally answering all your questions I'm just gonna go with it I'm just on a roll (laughs) and then I got a coach who actually Karen who was my ended up being my book wing woman who watched me kind of get my diagnosis and then completely unravel with rage for probably a year and then I was like right and now we're going to take this and write a book so one thing that ADHD does do is masking pretending everything is fine so being a good actress and when I knew that I was doing that and I could take that mask off and then I was like, yes, I'm totally a mask. Everything is fine. And I was like, but there's something else here. And that was that good girl conditioning. That was like, oh. And then as I'm a five-year-old who asks why a lot, it's like, why? Why are we conditioned to be good girls? And then that's what led to this journey, I suppose. Wow. So with the with the diagnosis, then did they give you medication or? They did. So I took it for about a year and then realised coffee's good enough. <laughs> It was brilliant, though, because it's the first time in my life I was able to go, oh, this is what yoga teachers mean by silencing your brain. So they give a stimulant, which is nuts, that actually calms your brain. So now you're not taking anything. You're aware of it, apart from coffee. (laughs) You're aware of it and you can deal with it. Yes, because I have the support and the scaffolding around me. So through access to work was we were able to sort of get support to, to get some humans to, to help us so we've got a really good project manager and really good coach and a really good marketing person that kind of keep me and my partner in our business on the straight on the straight and narrow but you know what yeah. I mean they keep us they keep us from going off piece too much there seems to be so much talk about ADHD at the moment are more people being diagnosed do you think I think there's more awareness so traditionally it was naughty little boys who were you know causing disruption in school it was almost a case of even with autism they didn't realize this was a thing that girls had and the female presentation slightly different from the naughty i was an angel at school absolute angel i was such a good girl it was unreal and I would never in a million years, my teacher would be like, no, she definitely does have ADHD. She was like, do your homework, do this, you know, do all the the right things. And it, looking back, you can see in your my report card, it's like, oh, if she only put more like effort into things that she'd, you know, why does she leave things to the last minute? And yeah, and talking. Talking was a thing, very chatty. <laughs> um but yes, all of these things, looking back at my report cards, I was like, oh. So it's really interesting. We did really think that this was something that, like you say, to stereotype troubled young boys, yeah. you know, who couldn't be part of the system, who were always outside of the system, often got diagnosed. But I think we missed the fact that it was happening to lots of people who were otherwise very conformist. 100%. So, yes, there is. And then you look through your, your relatives and just think, I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) Grandparents and your parents and your sisters and your nieces and nephews and just think, you all need to be tested. Really? 100%. (laughs) But we grew up in this family, we're all a bit bonkers and this is normal for us. So the, the funny thing about ADHD is outside of like work and school and, you know, society, in our little families, we can be as bonkers as we want to be and it's fine. It only becomes a problem when we're trying to live in a world that was designed for non-ADHDers, 
where you have to, you've got silly rules and you have to fill in forms and all that sort of stuff that really we really struggle with so I really struggle getting out of the admin jobs of my career into a more sort of strategic professional job right. so it's like well you're really rubbish at recruitment administration so we can't possibly you know um, promote you I was a chartered psychologist doing recruitment admin I was like I'm really good at this stuff but I'm really bad at this stuff so once I actually somebody gave me a chance I was promoted like four times in four years but it was just getting out of that being really rubbish admin thing. Interesting. So going back to the book now, what I found so surprising and really cool was that um, before I got the book, I got the quiz. Mm-hmm. And it's not very often when you get a quiz as the as the, as the pre-read before the book. It was brilliant. Um, I, I think I scored like... 47% I think it was so um, but yeah tell me about what why you created the quiz and what that's that's there for so my in my professional background I am trained in delivering all sorts of psychometrics I love doing it and I love doing the feedback to people I hate writing the reports because I've got ADHD but I love doing the sort of the face-to-face feedback and talking to like hiring managers all that sort of stuff and so I understand how psychometric tests are made and I've been involved in creating some psychometric tests so that's the kind of background to it so my idea was we're all really really busy we don't have time to read a whole book it's like 200 odd pages in this book it's like it's a big thing and wouldn't it be nice if we just had a sort of like a pointer so i created um like dimensions with all of the different chapters you answer all the questions, 72 questions, because, you know, clearly there needs to be enough for it to, to actually mean something. And it will tell you which chapters you need to read. So you'd have to read the whole book. I mean, this is absolutely genius. I mean, to to read, uh, to fi- uh, answer a quiz, see where your kind of biggest problem areas are, be guided straight to those chapters. I mean, I, I saw that and I got my score. I still, I, I actually was more inspired to read the whole book because I was thinking, I'm not leaving anything out now. But that's very tailored and very specific yeah. to the individuals. Really, really curated for each reader. Yep. It's so clever. The, the worst chapter for me to write was the one about strategic exhaustion. So how women are kept tired. We're exhausted. We're absolutely knackered. We're having to do all of this emotional, caring labour that you know men don't necessarily always do like on average women work an extra two hours a day in terms of that emotional stuff and it was that it was like we don't have we don't have the time the effort Mm. to read a whole book but if you want to go at it (laughs) you might miss something funny um but yeah that's that's i just thought that would be the most useful use of our time and is everybody so far like you're saying are you getting a good response rate on the quiz are people engaging with it i can imagine they are i think the last time i checked there were 667 women have done it so far i really enjoyed the 666 i forgot to take a screenshot which is really (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing and we also should um tell our uh podcast community as well to take the quiz um ahead of buying the book people do top trumps with the quiz so i know women that have done it in groups and they've like sat there and go what did you get with this one? And they've done a little bit of top trumps. I think the idea of making um, the book work for you, for the bits that actually matter for you, uh, is, is quite genius. And I, I just feel like that level of personalization in a book is quite unique. So you, you say in the book that um, good girl conditioning is not a lack of self-confidence, self-belief, self-love, but the way we have been trained from birth to be kind, to look good, be nice, stay quiet, and take care of everyone else. So elaborate on that. So if we look at how we are trained, so we look at how our parents were brought up and then how their parents were brought up. So it's this generational conditioning of girls having to be nice and to be kind and to share and not get muddy when you're little and not, you know, just looking pretty. It's like, ugh, pretty babies. Ugh, drives me nuts. It's like, you know, like, just let them be, uh, let them get involved in messy play, all that sort of stuff. We're, because we have to, we're just squishing girls. And never mind, you know, the whole kind of you know, femicide that's happening all over the world. But we just need to let us be and to be 
who we are instead of who we think we should be and who we've been told we should be. It's really sad, really, if you think about it, that, you know, my grandmother, she was a she was a homemaker. She had quite a lot of grandchildren and children. But she was very sort of, this is how girls behave and this is how you should be. And, you know, close the curtains when you're getting changed at age eight or something bad will happen to you. There's, there's like, there's so much expectations and weight put on girls where we just have to sort of feel like we squish ourselves into the most socially acceptable version of ourselves it's just it's like it's devastating really if you think about it so we're not getting the chance to be like our authentic self because societal conditioning is so powerful and we don't recognize it or realize it but from birth we are all experiencing it but in the same way we could say the same thing about you little boys as well 100%. at birth, also being conditioned. Yeah, you know, go and have some rough and tumble, yep. go and play in the mud, you know, because boys will be boys. And it's almost, you know, you, you don't expect boys to have to share, do you really? And I even, I look at, because I've got a, an almost 14 year old and my partner um, said to me that if, if Oliver was a girl, Oliver was Olivia at the age of 14 she'd be cooking her own meals she'd be you know helping much more with the housework and me I've written a book about this stuff <laughs> and but I've raised Oliver as a typical stereotypical boy mm. and it's like yes but yeah my, my partner's great because he does quite a lot of the, the housework and <laughs> Yes, he has got higher standards than I have, let's, let's face it. And he always says, you know, we don't want you to leave your mummy's house and move into your girlfriend's house, who then becomes your mummy. Oh, good. So we, we, that stops here. You talk about coercive control as well, um, about the, the tactics to keep um, women and girls behaving. Talk a little bit more about the coercive control that's the, that's the underlying framework of the book so going back to the whole me being five and asking why is this good girl conditioning a thing i was going down a wikipedia slash google like research adventure and i came across this chap who an american um, albert biderman was a social scientist in the 1950s in america and the US military were really concerned after the Korean War why so many prisoners of war were defecting to China. And, yeah, you know, American, why would, why would you leave America? It's like, it's bonkers. Most of those people don't even have passports because you've, you've got everything you need in one mm. country. And so they thought the Chinese had a magical brainwashing machine, which would be fun, but they didn't. They used tactics of coercive control. And he and his team figured that out. So it was published in the 50s. Amnesty International used it in terms of definitions of torture. And it's used lots in domestic violence as well. And it's it's actually coercive control is a law now. It's not supposed to be able to do it, but it's really hard to prove. Mm. So it's yeah. really it's really hard to prove. But I looked at our conditioning through the lens of coercive control and looked at these these nine different principles and I just looked at this table and I was like oh my god and I could literally within an hour I'd scribbled all printed off scribbled all over it and this is how women are kept under control this is how we are kept behaving and it's coercive control tactics which makes the book sound terrifying <laughs> but we don't know we, it just happens we don't yeah. know about it so the book is a kind of this is a thing yeah this is how I've kind of like translated it. And these are some questions you can ask yourself and you can ask your friends and your, your community to try and figure out how and why you're in this, whether this affects you or not. In her book, Before War, Elijah Davy said, once we've been conditioned into a set of cultural beliefs, we will often cling to them and angrily defend them if challenged. I'm thinking about the women that will read this book and think, no, I don't associate with this, or I don't believe it, or I'm perfectly happy with my life. But that's that's fine. Yeah, you can't you can't win them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I think if you've got that some natural curiosity yeah. and I I literally am surrounded by ADHDs. I'm surrounded by very rebel kind of women and who think that they're they're not they're not impacted by this stuff. And I guarantee you, you will read certain chapters, certain parts of this book and you it'll hit you like a train. It's really it can be really triggering, which is why the book has been written to be read in community with other women. This is so interesting. The fact that everything is very sort of community based and it's not you sitting at home on your own on the sofa reading the book. You want people to get together and basically kind of like work through it together. And I think that's quite important because like we sort of discussed before, it could be quite triggering if you were reading it on your own. And actually without the right support system and the right framework. And um, it could actually lead to consequences that may not be intended. Yeah. So I've created a good, I can't remember what I've called it. It's like a good girl rebellion gang guidelines, like handbook. So it talks about how to, how to create a really robust container for the work. So people are safe and protected in that because I don't want people to be harmed by this book. No. But people will come to some realizations that may you know may hurt them. Mm. But the book's not all doom and gloom. It's no. literally No. These are the facts. There's some funny stories around all of the facts and these this is what you could do about it. The book isn't doom and gloom at all. It's actually incredibly uplifting. I found it really positive, but I think also not only is the content about uh, deprogramming positive but you are very positive and and I think you bring you inject so much humor through that book um, and so many juicy words as well I love that actually that was amazing when I got to unfuck with the ball I was like oh this is brilliant right but um so I think I, it doesn't feel like doom and gloom at all I, I think it's I think it's very positive but well, it's that's the hope yeah that's the hope and uh we come across Gallup strengths yes yes yeah, so positivity is yeah. my yeah. top five so yeah <laughs> brilliant so yes that, that strength like comes through the nobody's coming to fix you podcast um is really us talking to women like yourself um and it's mainly women that are, are listening to this as well that doesn't mean that you know we're not pro men um there'll be some men listening to this podcast who will read your book as well and they'll be thinking well what about me <laughs> you know i'm i'm in the same societal conditioning what, what you know why isn't there a book for me interestingly so no yes it's my partner has, has obviously read the book because i made him because mostly for spelling punctuation and grammar um he's much better than that than i am so he's read it and he's done the quiz and he's actually more of a good girl than i am but anyway book number two is going to be written with my partner so using the same coercive control framework to talk about good student and good employee oh, wow. um sort of conditioning because a three-year-old's way more creative than a 18 year old because all of that gets kicked out of people at school and then you've got employers moaning that they don't have people that are like creative and innovative and take responsibility where you've been literally squeezing through this controlling discipline rich pass this test education system it's no wonder you get people out the other end who are like overly perfectionistic yeah. who are afraid to take a risk who like are just scared mm. and not themselves because they're waiting for somebody to give them a pat on the head mm. and so yeah it's to look at so men will be covered in the next one and james will be helping me write Oh, that, that, I think that's amazing because I think also if you're a, a woman reading this, maybe you've got small children and you're thinking, right, I want to break this now in my family and I'm going to make sure that I bring up my daughters in a way that's less about societal conditioning, then they're going to need to do it with their sons as well yeah. for it to actually work yeah. in the family, right? Also next year, I don't know how long next year <laughs> is, but I'm going to be working with an American educational expert and we're translating, taking the swear words out, translating it into a mother and daughter guide for preteen girls and their mums to do the work together. Amazing. And also talking about next year now, uh, because you, you've got such a busy year, you also talked about creating your sort of live communities. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? So, yes. So 
for those those girls, girls and women who don't necessarily want to create their own thing or to join a thing, I'm creating a community of, it's called the Good Girl Rebellion. So it's it's like a membership. We're going to start talking. We're going to do like a 12 week read along of the book and discuss it. And then it'll turn into a we'll get experts in every week, every month to to talk about different aspects, you know, nutrition and exercise and breathing and meditate. So sort of that some more self-care stuff. So we're going to build like a really found solid community of women online. And then um, I'm stopping doing one to one because I think I can have much bigger impact and one-to-one is exhausting if I did small group coaching. So four women per circle, we're gonna call them the Good Girl Rebellion Circles, four women, and we'll we'll do a six month, go through all of this stuff together and learn and grow together. And in this one-to-one way, we're taught, you have to do, you have to do one-to-one coaching because that's like, that is coaching peer coaching and peer support and encouragement and building really rich friendships and professional friendships in the work I think it's going to have much bigger impact and I think building friendships with people who are on the same journey as you and I think sometimes when you are in that place where you want to transform your life or you want to make change but your own friends may not be in the same place that's also quite difficult so you go on a journey with people who are like-minded want to address the same things I think it's a fabulous idea and I think that you know like you say we're all steered towards one-to-one coaching at Sandslan we do 12 person coaching program so there was only 12 people in the room but I think the reason why we chose 12 was again we thought this would be a community that everybody could tap into throughout their journey so they stay with the program for 12 months but the idea is that they can keep on having that peer support like you mentioned as, as, as in addition to all of the coaching support they're going to get as well so great oh and fantastic. then the year after next because <laughs> i never decided there's too much happening next year is i'm going to create good guilty programmers so i'm going to train women who've been through the program to become good guilty programmers so funnily enough it's people i've been i'm surrounded by coaches and psychologists and most of the people that have pre-read the book including yourself are coaches and psychologists so you've got your whole army of deprogrammers all ready to go there we go oh that's amazing this is a complete community it's a complete business model right it's not just a book it's a move well we wanted to make it a movement it's a movement yes it's amazing it's not it's up to me to call it a movement it's up to the people that are in the movement to call it a movement but yes that's the that's the plan because i don't want to sit here stand here in front of people and say I am the expert in all things good girl deprogramming. I know everything. I know how to do your life and take your good girl conditioning and put Michelle's conditioning on top of it. That would be the worst thing you can do. And so many self-help books are that. And everyone must come out of it in their own way, I guess, as well. There's no right or wrong. No. And I think it's really interesting going back to the um, the, the groups of women sort of like supporting each other. I, I think that when I was reading the book, that's one of the things that I was sort of thinking about you know we always think that that there's this patriarchy that you know this is kind of like come from men and then I think that you know when I actually think about women and how women support women and we were talking you write in your book about um you know the very derogatory phrase Karen that you know we both you know abhor but actually that's a phrase that's terrible but it's been created by women for women and we, you know, we ourselves don't support each other enough. So what can women actually do to be more mindful of other women and to support women better? Yeah. And it's 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 looking, self-examining our internal misogyny. Yes. And realising, you know, I'm happily walking, walking around, looking down at other people. I was a total, oh, girls are so much drama type of girl at school. And... But realising that if I'm talking about girls that way, it gives permission for men to talk about girls that way. And it's just like, it just, it's a cycle of misogyny and it just, it, it, it's horrible. <laughs> but yeah, it's, again, it's like, it's like, it's, there's parallels with anti-racist work, mm. but it's the anti-misogynist work that needs to happen that's not at the moment. But 
it's we need to start with ourselves. So we always refer to men as misogynists. Mm-hmm. But all of them. Whoever is a misogynist, we normally think it has to be a man. But <laughs> yes. but you're saying that women can be misogynists. Oh, 100%. So, the, yeah, as the Karen thing shows, it's yeah. it's women calling certain type of women Karens because they act entitled or, you know, or complain. Um, and it's given permission for men to call women Karens. And it's it's given permission for people to be shut up people to be silenced people not not being allowed to speak and i was on the taxi on the way here i lich i told you about me having to complain about something but then like panicking because you know am i being a karen i'm like jesus it's like it's noticing what you're doing in the moment and nipping that crap in the bud Mm. because we have been brought up in a in a society where we think that men are Men are better, men are more likely to lead and all of that implicit bias stuff that we've got. I think the thing about like, you know, women can be misogynist too, is like huge. I think if women, you know, we started talking about that and people started owning that and taking responsibility for it. I think like in the same way that, you know, people of color feel that they can attack somebody else and not be called out for being racist when, you know, they are being racist. Um, I, I think the same thing um, is with women attacking women, being, you know, misogynistic. So um, I'm sure we'll get a lot of flack for that. <laughs> but, but, you take it out if you don't like it. <laughs> no, but I think it's, I think it's, you know, the, honestly, that's like a, that's a, that's a big sort of like revelation because we never own it. We never own that. We think if anyone is attacking women, then it must be somebody who's not a woman. Yeah, because we've been, we've been trained to be the victims. Yeah. As well. Interesting. That is so empowering, actually. I think that's another podcast on its own, actually. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So and then imposter syndrome. It's interesting. You 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 kind of contained imposter syndrome in the book in a in a very sort of like easy way. You say it is perfectly normal. It it is a perfectly normal feeling of self doubt that most people experience at some time. Yeah. And I and thought it's just been made into this big thing. So it's so interesting, and that's one of the things you do very well in the book. You take a lot of really big topics that, for a lot of people, um, takes them out of their kind of like safe zone or whatever. And you're just like, it's just a, it's just a mind game. It's just like a controlling your mind and everything. You, I wouldn't say you trivialized it, but you made it more compact than it was. It's been one of the most successful non things ever. To be fair, somebody yeah. made up imposter syndrome. Um, and it, it made them sound all medical because of super syndrome. It's like, oh, yes, I've got this thing. I, you know, I've got a broken leg. I've got imposter syndrome. It's, it's almost like this thing. And it's almost given us women a crutch. And it's like, oh, you know, we're, we're feeling a bit imposter syndrome. It's like, it's doubt. It's, you're it's just having a bit of self-doubt. Self, and, it, it, and it happens in, when you're wobbling in terms of you don't know everything. Because we have been conditioned to have to know everything. And that's the school thing. And there's a right and there's a wrong. And I have to do things the right way. I have to present myself the right way. And yeah. And I do talk about it as well in the book. How women aren't, are are new to the workplace. Mm. So workplaces were designed for men. They were designed for men who had wives at home. So in you know 100 years ago um the wife looked after the children in the house and the man was able to swan off to work not worry about himself and just do his thing and come home dinner slight pipe slippers you know mr banks mary poppins he was able to just enjoy his life thinking he was in charge and when women joined the workforce in our droves nothing changed of the workforce Mm -hmm. So we are operating in a place that wasn't designed for us. So no wonder we feel like we're imposters, we're frauds sometimes because we're in a place that wasn't designed for us. It was designed for men who were able to concentrate on their careers, not worry about any of the emotional labour stuff about who's going to what appointment or whether, you know, the cat needs whatever the cat needs. And able to concentrate so when we're in work we have this 
<laughs> this muddle that they're like I have to concentrate on work, but there's also there's all of this other stuff because mm. I'm also responsible for a house, and that's that's not what most men have. Mm. So yes, I think there's a bit of nature and nurture in there. It's interesting talking about the workplace. Um, I think it brings on to the next topic about authenticity, which is uh, something at Sandstone we talk a lot about because I think actually. Being an authentic person, being an authentic leader is the key to success and happiness. And uh, so I think it's, you know, it's one of our it's one of our key pillars of of, of the program. Um, and you say, and I quote you here, um, the double bind in which women face conflicting societal expectations. On the one hand, they're expected to be assertive, confident and ambitious to succeed, to be seen as competent and advanced in their careers. However, they are also expected to be nurturing, empathetic and cooperative, to conform to traditional gender norms and expectations and to be likeable. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest challenge, isn't yeah, it? It's a tightrope of likability and credibility. And I think that is the thing that I very much think is driving women out of the workplace today because in order to get to the top, they need to be authentic, they need to be themselves, but society doesn't recognize that as a positive trait. And so they they then decide, okay, I'll, I'll go and set up, set up my own business and I can be myself. And then, you know, we talked about it in, in, in a previous podcast and, you know, Mick, I always talk about this report McKinsey created called The Great Breakup. And it's all these women in their 40s just leaving the workplace because they just feel like this doesn't serve me anymore. So I, this is the thing I struggle with the most, because I think in a world where we are so intolerant of alternative opinions and, uh, you know, di any diversity of of of, of thoughts and um, views, how do we encourage authentic leaders to come forward? Because, because of this, all of this like professional conditioning and good girl slash boy and educational conditioning, we don't know who we are. We don't know what we want. We don't even know what's authentically us. Is there so much like unpicking? I've always been a massive fan of like personality questionnaires and the personality preferences and all that sort of stuff and you know looking at who you are but you are answering that within your conditioning as well so yeah it's that auth authentic leadership it's so hard because we quite often don't know who we are and what's authentic for us and you know, this is a mic drop. We change. Mm. <laughs> what what's what's authentic for us at one point in our lives might be a different thing in a different part of our life. Quite frankly, I change mm. depending on you know what part of the cycle I'm in. <laughs> to be my personality, I can be very love loving and nice or very direct, depending what what time of the month it is. So it's 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 hard for us to figure out what is authentically us but it's like it's like what are your values you know what 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 are your strengths what do you want to be portrayed as and i think if you're working for yourself that that personal branding stuff is really important mm. because if you're like a million miles away people will be able to spot it because that inauthenticity will shine through that's interesting. So actually, maybe personal branding is just the key to going on that steady journey towards authenticity yeah. so that you're not so so that people get to know that this is who you are. This is what you stand for. These are, like you say, your values and this is your purpose in life. And then you can kind of negotiate those kind of choppy waters a bit better than just kind of, um, I don't know, being difficult in a meeting because you believe in something and nobody understanding it really. And, and I talk about in the book how they don't have to be big things that we, you know, change. We could just be tiny little tweaks mm. and tiny little experiments that you can perform on the people around you mm. to move towards where you want to be. Because if you think that picking this book, you're going to change your life, you have to do the work. <laughs> it's like, it's, this is not going to, to fix you. Yeah. It's going to put you onto a journey with like-minded women yeah. to do the work together. 
I think the workplace is such a such a fascinating you know time that we're in at the moment. I think we have like you know Gen X, Gen Z in there, all you know. Interestingly, I think all feeling quite displaced. It is not a case that you know twenty somethings are coming in and the forty somethings suddenly feel too old. Everybody I talk to feels quite displaced actually, and I think that's because organizations are, are trying to create these environments that don't really talk to anybody and, and 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 stopping everyone from being themselves actually and I think that's kind of the the, the biggest challenge that we have and I I really wonder I was talking to um, Jane Shepherdson on a previous podcast and we were saying and we both come from the fashion industry and we were saying that you know I wonder what the industry will look like in 10 years time because if so many women just get to this point who recognize that their authenticity doesn't have a place in the workplace and they're stepping out, we've got a massive gap in in in, in our sort of in our industry's knowledge base. And and I think that's gonna be really difficult for people in their twenties coming through the system and, and learning and who who will train them and who will teach them and who will inspire and guide them. It's an it's a huge knowledge drain. I think it's a really big thing. And I think that um employers are sort of looking at it but they don't know how it's happening or where it's coming from and I don't think they know how to kind of encourage people to 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 I mean it's, I feel like authenticity is going to be the the next most overused word after like sustainability right but I I, th I think that's I think it's a crux of so many problems yeah but if you think about it they're still trying to design a workplace for early 20th century factory workers with processes and profit and you know bug of the planet and bug of the people but it's it's more that you know let's let's engineer the human out of the workplace and it's this is the backlash clearly because there are options we don't have to stay in shitty workplaces with bosses that have no clue about how to manage people so and i think we get to a point where i did certainly i was like i can't do job anymore i literally can't job i can't i can't twist and turn myself into what you want me to be when i can see clearly this ain't working, yeah. like really badly. It's like I was always that. We could do that, yes. You know that improv. Yeah. I was like, yes, and and we can sort of bring in sort of changes into the workplace that like put people and planet first. And we're not designed to sit at a computer screen. Mm. Humans are not designed to do that for eight hours a day. And yeah. We need we need movement and we need different route you know creativity and different ways of collaborating and I don't think I, I don't think we've got it, I know we haven't got it right yet mm. in terms of the workplace. You also talked about this glass cliff phenomenon, and I was quite horrified to read that I hadn't actually I've been in the industry for a really long time and a lot of management positions, but even I hadn't heard of this um, this phenomenon where you say that like often where the likelihood of failure could be quite high. Theresa May. <laughs> I, I definitely, I wrote Theresa May in my notes here. I definitely think Theresa May was the absolute perfect example of bring in somebody, this is not going to work, she's going to take the rap yeah, for it. Yeah, there's trust as well, actually. Yeah. Yeah, she, we found out quick, quickly with that one. But yes, so it was a couple of researchers in one of the universities down south and they looked at loads of different women in precarious leadership positions and they... If it's it's okay for a woman to fail and then the man comes to rescue man comes in super cape on rescue the situation like and blame it all on the woman even though they only came in for six months but yes it's it happens all over the place but yeah Theresa May is a bit my favorite example. I think Theresa May is a good example actually I mean to be honest I I think I probably worked in in very female heavy organizations because it's a fashion industry so um so the gender split was very very pro-female so um I didn't really experience that but uh, now I, I see it I'm like this is this is really interesting okay so let's focus on um some questions for our, our listeners we want to ask you three questions that um are about authentic leadership and how if you applied yourself authentically you could make change in these following areas so let's kick off with uh decision making skills it's yeah it's all about I was with clients, I was, we always do the head, heart, gut thing. Um, so what did your head tell you? What did your heart tell you? What did your gut tell you? And you'll always find the answer in that. Or my other favourite question, what would a mediocre man do? 
if they're scared of doing something. Because um, <laughs> you find that between answering those four questions, you will know what's authentically you. Okay. But knowing your values is really important as well. Perfect. Communication skills. Tailor your communication skills to the audience. So there will be some, there will be some changing in there. So you can be, you know, underlying your authentically you, but if somebody won't receive, so communication, it's, it's, it's an exchange. There's giving and taking, there's listening and there's talking. So yeah, you have to, you have to figure out. And I suppose also we talked about personal branding earlier on and when we were having a bite sweet before we talked about you know your personal brand on say linkedin and how you had already been very authentic in your style on linkedin which i was commenting on and i find really refreshing but it's you've kind of put it out there from the beginning that this is who i am and this is how i talk and this is how i interact so so i think you can use your like personal brand as well yeah. to 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 grow that as well and yeah people aren't going to follow you if you're all professional and boring if you are funny or share some stories or you know how crazy a day is on on LinkedIn then people are going to enjoy that and get to know you rather than this faceless professional corporate robot and then the last one is uh conflict management I, it's interesting with conflict so it's all about nipping it in the bud before it becomes a big thing. Right. So nudging. Nudging is easier nudging. than having blazing rows. I will do anything to avoid conflict because I will see if things are going down a mis... It's always about miscommunication, let's face it, or not setting your expectations. And when you start, you know, coaching, we have, a, we have an expectation setting... You know, you ask questions like, you know, how do you like feedback? And if I'm working with an ADHD client, they might not like it at all. Um, and then we negotiate. So again, it's, it's, a, it's a dance. All communication is, it's all about needs being met on both sides. And if if it gets to a conflict, you probably should have dealt, dealt with things further down the line. But if it's gonna be one of those really difficult conversations, plan it as a negotiation. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So try nudging, which I think is a good idea, or be really strategic. Yeah. And you take take the you're a bad person vibes yeah. out of this and take the victim take the drama triangle out of it. What's, What's a drama triangle? Oh, not come across it. oh. No. <laughs> it's one of my favourite things. So you've got you imagine drawing a triangle. On one side you've got victim. On the other side, you've got perpetrator. And then you've, on the other side, you've got rescuer. So you, you find this a lot in, in like organisations, in teams, in families, whereas somebody's feeling miffed because somebody else has been mean to them. And then somebody else comes to try and rescue them. But the rescuer then becomes the perpetrator and the victim then becomes the, you know, whatever. And it, it literally just going around this ridiculous circle, taking these like three different personas and you can find yourself in like the space of 10 minutes being all three of those things oh my gosh. so I've, I've, there'd be, there's definitely a um a blog on my website i'll send you it um about the the drama triangle oh, that sounds interesting. just like stay out of the drama triangle <laughs> know about it and then just stay away from it Cool, thank you. Before we finish, um, Nobody's Coming to Fix You is part of Santalan Coaching and Transformation Programme and it's designed to create balance in your life. So tell me, how do you get balance in your life? I think for me, it's all about not giving myself too hard a time. So I can, I'm a very much a get shit done person or stay in my pyjamas all weekend person. And it's fine. Not beat myself up about literally I made because we were having such a busy couple of weeks leading up to the launch of this book. I've literally accidentally, well, I kind of do on purpose, instigated a nothing at the weekend thing. So stay in our pyjamas, watching Criminal Minds. Excellent. And not beat yourself up. You don't yeah. have to be productive all the time. So it's all about self-talk, I suppose. And get loads of stuff done. But then you can do nothing. I think that's great. I think 
just that sentence, so you don't have to be productive all the time. I think that guilt that people have, I'm not doing anything. I mean, my mum is like terrible. Like she's my, you know, she's always saying to my sister, oh, you could be doing this, you could be doing this. And she's like, I'm actually just trying to do nothing. And my mom is always like, yeah, but you know, you've got stuff to do. And I think creating boundaries and creating like kind of frameworks around, this is my productivity time, this is my chill out time. It's really important, isn't it? It's okay as well to, if you're not feeling it, don't flog a dead horse. Some some days, again, the time of the month thing, I can literally wake up and I can't do anything all day. It's like Disney movie day. Yeah. Just cancel, cancel stuff. I'm not a brain surgeon. Nobody will literally die if I yeah. don't do my work. Yeah. You know, and have these conversations with with people to say, if if I'm not well, I'm going to model what you should do. It's like not work. Excellent. Instead of trying to you know, put some lipstick on yeah. and try and try and yeah. fog a dead horse. <laughs> oh my god! Thank you so much, Michelle, for being so um, unfuckwithable on this podcast amazing congrats on the book i think it's a brilliant brilliant piece of work and i really excited by the fact that it's much more than a book actually like you said it's a movement i think it's going to be phenomenally successful next year i really do i think lots and lots of women are going to get behind it and i think the idea of just getting women into little hubs and community groups and peer groups i think that is going to be the thing that's going to really excite a lot of women um to just that sense of community and belonging and i can talk to somebody about my concerns my problems so uh, yeah best of luck and um and i think i think we'll come back and maybe do another one on uh oh, there's loads of other topics yeah, we like, like, we're gonna go into there were so many other things but no thank you it was great thank you ever so much for having me thank you for joining me for this episode of nobody's coming to fix you i hope you've enjoyed it please follow us and subscribe for future episodes if you have any questions about the content of this show, all the details will be in the show notes. You can also reach out to us on Instagram and TikTok at Santaland Coaching. Nobody's Coming to Fix You is brought to you by Santaland, a 12-month coaching and transformation program for women. To learn more, please go to www.santaland.com. I'm your host, Albia. Until next time, stay well. <laughs>